if you're listening to this podcast, the chances are you use digital technology in your everyday life. I mean, smartphones have really revolutionized our lives and digital agri-technology or agri-tech is starting to revolutionize agriculture. It's not just hype, it's reality. Soil and water monitoring and electronic ID are quite common, but let's face it, the terms and the jargon are very confusing at times. But if you're buying a new tractor, you'd want to know about horsepower, auto steer, two or four wheel drive, hydrostatic drives, and so on. And the same here. To step into agri-tech, a conscious choice to be informed is required. And in this episode of Yarn, we're going to step you through the basics and hear from some practical farming case studies. Welcome to The Yarn, the number one wool industry podcast. I'm Marius Cumming. So last week, the Digital and Smart Agriculture Festival in Hamilton, Victoria, brought together a great collection of farmers and experts using commercially available technology to improve their farming. And soon we'll head to Gunning in New South Wales, where Jen Medway will talk about lifting fleece weights by 46% in just five years. But first, Nick Seymour. He's originally from a sheep and cattle property near Balmoral in Victoria and now runs Farmo digital device company for agriculture we're embracing technology for a reason right the reason is there are things on the farm that are, that that annoy us they take too long they break we can't be there all the time um so there's a reason for wanting the technology right but the thing that i'm trying to address is if you're going to use technology you do have to accept the fact that learning just a little bit about it, you need to learn a little bit about it so you can understand the choices that you're presented with. And so an analogy you made with the tractor. With the tractor? Oh, okay, yeah. So basically in the past, if you know if you're going to make a good choice, you know, about buying a tractor, you are going to spend a little bit of time understanding the technology. I mean, you don't need to become a diesel mechanic, but you'll be reasonably well informed before you go out and make your choice. And so with iot and these sort of sensor technology there's a few things you just you know you've got to get your head across um and so i'm trying to dispel the sort of myth that everything's really really easy really simple just buy it and whack it and it works that's not a that's not a good place to start with anything new you know you start by okay invest a little bit of time it's going to be a bit difficult but what i don't understand today i'll understand a little bit more about tomorrow by the end of the week the end of the month you know, I'll be comfortable. Maybe mobile phones are partially responsible for this. Oh, I know all about it. Should be right. Yeah. So, look, you started off really by talking about um, uh, getting the data, sending the data, and looking at the data. Mm-hmm. But you have uh, made a, a great uh, presentation around farm connectivity. So, and the different ways that things are communicated, the way the data is sent. Yeah. Um, now, that's something that very few people seem to know. I certainly didn't. Um, yeah. Can you talk us through the very basics of how of that connectivity? Yeah. So w- when you start to buy a device, you're going to hear these three words, right? You can't. You really can't avoid it. Um, people are going to start to talk about things like LoRaWAN. They're going to talk about NBI, NBIoT, and then they're going to talk about satellite, right? And... This is actually easier to explain visually. Yes, all right. Okay. But just in general, right? So you're getting the data, that's all easy, and it's all ending up on your phone, right? That's all the same. It's just how does the data get from your sensor, you know, to your phone at the end of the day. And the reason we have 
these three types of connectivity is it's not because you know there's been a massive stuff up and we've just developed three different systems or people are trying to sell you stuff that doesn't work or whatever it's simply because each method of connectivity works better in different situations and every single farm is unique and every area of australia is unique so we have these we have these choices that are just born out of um, trying to offer the best solution for every situation But the downside is no one's giving you one quick and easy solution. The downside is you just have to know, okay, so what is LoRaWAN and where's that good? What is MBIOT? Where is that good? And what's satellite? And when is that, you know, where's that the one? Yeah, well, I suppose people um, would naturally understand what satellite is. And what are the other two? Yeah. So, yep, satellite, that's very intuitive. Um, And then you've got... LoRaWAN, which is the one you'll hear about, this is basically a long-range Wi-Fi, but it is different uh, to the Wi-Fi with its, that you'll stream your Netflix, right? The, the LoRaWAN, it is very low amounts of data, and but what that means is this data can go nearly 10Ks. So you can send information like gate open, gate closed, water depth, um, soil moisture, all these things, over really long distances, okay? Um, Must be line of sight. Line of sight is to get maximum distance, you need clear line of sight. As soon as you start introducing things like, you know, blue gum plantations or, or gullies, you know, the, the, you're getting further away from the, the maximum potential of that method. Right? But the people, the reason people are talking about and using LoRaWAN on farms is because all of the devices you, that you're uh, distributing around your farm are reporting back to a central gateway. Right? And so that, that part of the transmission is basically free. And you're only paying then for, for, the, uh, for a data card inside that gateway going up to the cloud. So that, that's the great benefit of that technology. Now, when you say gateway, you're not meaning a physical gateway. No, I don't mean, no, sorry, sorry, right? So when you ever hear the word LoRaWAN, you're probably going to hear gateway and you can just, it, it's basically a repeater yeah. station. Yeah. They call it a gateway. So we've got, um, what is what is glorified Wi-Fi, yeah. we've got yeah. satellite, yeah. and the third one is? Is MBIOT. So with the, with the just going back to satellite, first yep. of all, that's great because basically wherever you see the sky, you can use the satellite. Thing is, it's the most expensive of all the options. So sometimes when you don't need to use it, you, you might be paying for what you don't need. And the other thing is, it only works when the satellite's passing over, which might be two or three th- times a day. So there's situations where you want to know, like real time, you know, if a gate is opening or closing, you want to know then. So in that situation, you might use what's called NBIOT. So this is more similar to the SIM card in your phone, right? It goes through the same Telstra tower, you know, if you're out in the country. But again, it's a scaled back version. It's less data. You know, you can't talk on this one or send send uh, videos. It's less data, but it, it Again, it goes further because it's less data. So just to recap, the LoRaWAN one, right, this is great, is the cheapest, but you might have to invest in a gateway. It's got a capital sort of cost beside the lower device cost. In the middle, you've got this MBIOT. Individual devices are sending their data directly through a Telstra tower, and then, but it only works in those sort of southern eastern australian areas where there's mobile coverage and then you've got your satellite which works anywhere um to the satellite when it's passing 
Fantastic. Well, there you have it, people. That's how it works now. Um, more to your um, own business, uh, Nick, with uh, Farmo. So let's talk a bit about surely the first entry point for a lot of people is water monitoring, yeah. and you've come up with a, a, a brilliant solution for troughs, which uh, is practical, durable, and I dare say, hopefully, relatively cheap. Yeah, well, it, it sort of is. The thing about troughs is we've all got a lot of them. Like you're focusing on 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 water tanks, for instance. Say you might have ten water tanks. Okay, you'll cover them, but then there's a need. Some people really want to know. They want to know before the tank's empty. They want to know what's the situation in the trough. And but the, to to put a sensor in a trough, there's no way that you can shield it from the animals. You know, and it's got to be. I, I found that I, I was spending as much money on the fixing of a fixed sensor in a trough as the device itself. And then I had. Uh, Bruce, brother-in-law, say, you know, uh, Nick, you know, why can't we just like throw it in the water and and walk away, you know, because not everyone has a hammer drill, this sort of stuff. So from that comment, I went away and thought about it, and I thought, yes, you're, you're right, and we came up with with a, a new design, and essentially it's got a accelerometer, it's got a little angle measurer inside it, and it, you just throw it in the in the trough, floats along until the water level drops, and then it tilts over. And sends an alert to your phone at that point. All right, so it doesn't tell you the data that uh, some other tank monitors might, which is 1.1 meter, 1.2 meter, 0.9. It's telling you something else. It's telling you no, there's no water. You've got a problem. Go fix it. All right, so it's all just about addressing whatever the user case is. So uh, just following up from that, how many did Bruce buy? Uh, what was the, not many. Not he doesn't enough. really need them. He was just he was just applying to be kind. He was applying his analytical sort of critical mind to it. Oh, well, at the time, I thought it was just been a whinging sook. He's really helped me, you know, just by but just by looking at it through a you know through the lens of you know. Well, I said to him the other day, I said, look, you know, just dissatisfaction is what drives innovation. You know, well, it's a, what a perfect know. example. What other examples have you got? Oh, from Bruce. <laughs> That's Bruce helped you out. No. Are there any more? Uh, I can't say. I've got something else in development. Oh, yeah. and what about uh, – so in terms of water tanks, you've yeah. also got a, a similar setup for, for right, look, tanks. Yeah, we've got another – oh, well, the water rat itself, this one that floats, it can also go in a water tank with a tether to the top. So you decide, I want to be alerted when it's – one metre from the top or 1.5 metres from the top. Um, but look, just generally for a lot of people, you can get what's called a pressure sensor in your water tank, and that goes on the bottom of the water tank, you know, and, and it tells you at a, you know every hour or so what the water level is. Um, but the, uh, can, I, can I pump up another Farmo product? Go for it. Okay. That's what we're here for. Yeah, okay. <laughs> all right. The other one, all right, and all, all, anything that we do has come from just being on the farm, you know, having a problem, needing to fix it. And one of the things, because I'm sort of living in Melbourne, looking after a farm near Vasey, and I am worried sometimes about gates being opened and closed, not just from security, also from when people are working, whether they've finished, you know, in the evening and gone home, right, safely. So... But gate, farm gate sensors just didn't don't exist and don't work in their current form because they've been measuring the position of the gate itself, which is always vulnerable to being pushed by animals or blown by wind and setting off false alerts. So we came up with an idea of measuring the presence of the drop latch in position, and so that's what we've done. We've sort of we've come up with that idea, we've designed it, patented, and now 
yeah, essentially, if the drop latch is in position, you're seeing on your on your phone the gate's closed. As soon as someone opens the gate, you see it's open. It's real time, and um, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. And that's pro- is that a more practical solution for farm theft than a, a camera, perhaps? Yeah, look, look cameras. Um, yeah, it, well, first of all, with cameras, you do require a lot of if, if, a situation where you've got a lot of data and um, you've got power. Right, so this is a, this is if you can if you can get power and Wi-Fi or something to a place, you've got yeah there you go you're live streaming your camera. But then with the camera, you've got to say oh you must sitting down there and you know I got my coffee and donuts and I'm watching it 24 hours. How do I know in real time what's happening? And then you you can add AI, AI into that to to build in that. But now this the solutions we're doing is addressing problems where you've got no power, um, you, you're remote. All of those sort of things. So, Nick, clearly um, you, you've got a very innovative mind and you've got a, a, a few successes there, which is fantastic. Where where do you see this going as someone who um, understands farmers, yeah. who is personally involved with farming? Yeah. Where's this going to be in five years, 10 years, 20 years, which is um, incredibly yeah. exciting? Yeah, I think at the moment what we're doing is just we're ad- addressing just the pain points. This is our, this is our sort of entry, is just... I know there's been a lot of talk about big data and how all this can work and blah, blah, blah. But for us, it's just what are the things that are causing you pain, like going out and checking your electric fences, you know, knowing when, they, you know, when they're down or not. Um, you know, you might have a remote block and you, and you have to drive over there every couple of days and check. Um, you know, going around your waters or being alerted more quickly to when there's a problem. All these things, right? So right now, this is what's driving the adoption. I mean, I, I know people have got massive farms... Um, you know, they're wealthy people. They can't go away on the weekend, you know, because they don't have the staff to look after everything. So right now, that's driving the uptake, addressing the pain points. But, yeah, over the next five years or ten years, we'll, we'll make better use of the long-term data sets that we've got. You know, we'll start to be – we'll have that – collected that amount of data and start to utilise it in a more productive way. You know, that, that, that's sort of – I think that's going to follow – what do you think that's going to be as a, a cattle and sheep producer? What do you think, uh, where, do you, where do you see that perhaps working? Um, oh, oh, well, look, well, look, one of the main things that we need to address is, this is a bit of a side topic, but is livestock traceability, right? So at the moment, you know, we supposedly have got a livestock traceability saying, but to be honest, I put an ear tag in a, in a calf and that ear tag is scanned when it goes to the market. Who knows where it's been for that three years? You know, so which that's the problem we've got to address, right? And so it's been difficult to deal with that, but that that feeds into this ecosystem of data all the time. Okay, livestock traceability. Um, who knows what all the cropping guys and all those guys they use this data, you know, much more than than we do as uh, as graziers and whatever. Um, the rest, I don't know, sit back and wait and see. You know. Are you uh, worried about who owns the data and the flow of data and who on sells the data or is that something that um, farmers shouldn't really be worried about? I mean, because individually it doesn't really matter, but collectively um, it might. Yeah. Oh, no, in a, in a, yeah, someone shouldn't be selling your data. That's just, you know, they just shouldn't. It's yours. But there is some potential, and we've been working with guys um, with blockchain technology because there is a, there is 
So with a rain, a rain gauge, for instance, right? I might spend 500 bucks on putting a digital rain gauge on my place, right? But then, now what I can do is I can link that data in a, into the blockchain, right, which enables um, me to receive micropayments and anyone over the world, I'm voluntarily, voluntarily sort of doing this, can access my rain gauge and pay half a cent for every bit of rain data, right, that they get. And that that rain gauge, rather than costing me 75 bucks a year, that, that rain gauge might be making me 150 bucks a year. Just Why is someone interested in that data? Yeah, well, okay, it might be the neighbours. You know, they don't, they don't want to go to the trouble of setting up their own one. Um, and at the moment, say, at Vasey, you know, I'm looking at the rain gauge, I'm looking at Canagog. That's 15 k's north of Balmoral. You know, how's that relevant to, you know, where I am? So it's getting, it's more granular, right? The data, that, that's one thing. The other thing is, um, I don't know why, why, why people want, want to know that sort of stuff. I'm, I'm not so stressed myself about, about what someone can do with rain, you know, rainfall data. Yeah. I mean, it's more of a concern for me, things like gate, Sensing, you know, that's that 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 it's an area where you know you've got to be super secure about. Um, yeah. So, is there a requirement for more regulation in the future with this? Um, uh, is your data protected at the moment? Uh, oh, totally. I mean, if not, I get in massive trouble from Kevin, who uh, is is our, is our um, software engineer and uh, nephew of myself. Um, yeah, so essentially, I've been scolded repeatedly for not changing my password enough <laughs> and not making it complicated enough. I can't even remember it. So, yeah. Oh, well, but I'll, another, I'll, I'll, I'll refer all I'll refer all <laughs> data and security <laughs> to questions to Kevin, uh, our engineer. Very good. Well, look, yeah. it's a fascinating time to be yeah. in agriculture, and yeah. um, it, it's wonderful to yeah. um, to be able to have a chat to you. And congratulations on your success so far. All the best. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. And um, I just can I give a shout out to the um, the Shire, the the, yeah. the greatest hub, because basically I started doing this only because my neighbour a couple of years ago came over and told me about Laura Wan and all of that because of the promotion and the awareness that was going through the uh, through the Shire here, Hamilton, and um, you know, as early adopters, they're driving the uptake in this region, and um, you know, we're, we're all really lucky to be you know, in this area. If, if you're if you're you know excited about the digital technology, it's a good place to be. Nick Seymour from Farmo there with uh, a little gentle prodding from the brother-in-law. So Jen Medway is a very busy woman while being part of a family farming operation running 17,000 merinos at Gunning in New South Wales. She also manages research and development with AgriFutures Australia. Her commercial flock has lifted its fleece weight by a staggering 46% in just five years thanks to boosting genetic gain through measurement, selection and the aid of electronic ID. She says technology doesn't make bad farmers better that helps solve a problem. And identifying what you want is very much an important place to start. Some people just jump straight to a new drone or help me, you know, achieve, do something. And in the end, it sort of becomes a, you know, a nice thing to take videos on or photos on rather than actually being able to use it for what, solve a specific pain point. Um, another one, I guess, um, that's really important for us um, was to don't overinvest and, and really start simple. So um, I think sometimes producers and certainly some of um, our mates um, that are also farmers, sometimes it can be overwhelming. And I think sometimes producers think they have to really get in there and go hard early. And I think that's probably an error. 
Um, and we did the same thing. So when we bought um, all our technology and when we were starting on our program, we kind of got to the point where we needed to capture everything. We were trying to capture literally every data point we could. And then when we actually started to get into it, we realised that actually we only needed about two or three data points and, and not too dissimilar to what we were already capturing uh, to be able to make that, that sort of system thing. So from our perspective, I think there is a really important need for producers to think about how they start really simply um, and don't overinvest. So again, uh, you'll laugh at this one. So we, you know, bought all the mod cons. We bought every little attachment that went on some of our machinery. We really went hard with software. Um, you know, we, we really went too hard too early. Um, and so one of the things we did learn was how to, you know, start simple, don't overinvest. Um, and add um, over time rather than trying to start out with the, the biggest, you know, program you can. It's just, it's unachievable um, and it becomes too much to change too quickly. And in the end, you, it's, you're more likely to give it up than to keep it going. Right. So what are the data points that you now capture and how do you manage that data? Because it's not just a case of getting the data, it's how you manage it meaningfully. Yeah, correct. And so um, we certainly, um, we, we've always captured um, fleece weight, so, but now we do more of it. So we used to just do, as I said, the, the maiden hoggets, but we certainly now um, capture um, all our young sheep. So over time, we have that data point that, you know, we can really marry up, um, you know, some of those production traits with when we're sort of making um, culling decisions or selling decisions or, or putting our better sheep into the stud lot. So um, the other um, one we really um, capture is body weight. So we really um, use body weight, obviously. We, we do that semi-regularly, not as regularly um, as you'd think in terms of you can get really good data information. Um, and then um, we also do scanning. Um, so, again, nothing's, nothing crazy about what we're saying here. We, we, we scan for um, twins and singles and, and keep that information. Um, and basically uh, there's a couple of other little data points that um, we might capture around, you know, specific body traits, traits that they come through around black wool, for instance, um, or other sort of things that we, we put out into our, um, from our merino flock over into our crosses, but you still want to track that. So we certainly do capture you know, just some basic type data information. Um, I think one of the key things is, um, so we then get all that indexed. So um, we've got a consultant that helps us out basically just indexing those. So if we have a thousand um, maidens or, um, or young sheep, we'll actually get those, you know, indexed from one to a thousand. Um, and basically we'll know where our top performers are, but equally and more importantly, we know where our bottom performers are as well. Um, we do overlay that obviously with a, um, you know, with a visual inspection. So we certainly don't just go off data and that be the only thing. You probably could if you had huge numbers um, because it generally does correlate with the shape that you, that you want. The one thing I think we've found about that is that, you know, if you're doing a, a more of a visual representation of, of that kind of a culling process or, or again, to just to spot your top performers, you're generally running them up a, a drafting race, having a good look at the wool and, you know, making very visual decisions. And we have found that, you know, some of our top performers wouldn't have made it into that visual representation, um, but it's working. I mean, we've achieved an increase in um, fleece weight of 46% over the last five years. So, you know, to get that sort of increase in, in fleece, um, you know, fleece weight, we could not be happier with. Um, and really that is through better managing um, those traits um, right through the system. So it's not just a case of, um, you know, back in the day we would manage our sheep at a flock level. We now measure them, are able to measure them. We have data points for the individual animals. But it's also enabled us to split our mobs up more in terms of um, what those traits are. So rather than running them around in um, age groups um, or e-tags sort of 
groups. Um, we actually now run them according to their traits. So, of course, we would always have done that with the, the twinners and the singles, for instance, and the dries. Um, but now we're actually running them around in terms of wool cut or body size or others to try and really match um, what we're sort of, you know, really match, I guess, the the intersection of the, the, the production traits um, with sort of some of the inputs that we can give them around feed and, and you know, better looking after some um, versus others that are already hitting some hitting some straps. Well, Jen, thank you very much for uh, for speaking to us today and congratulations on, on really trying to make it work and, and making such big gains. Um, and, of course, thanks for what you do for the industry. Um, yeah, thanks for having a yarn with us. No worries, and thank you so much for having me. And, and look, to be honest, if anyone wants to connect, I'm more than happy to share a little bit more about what our uh, what our business does and, and how we've sort of jumped um, feet first into this uh, into this whole tech world. It, it can be a bit intense and um, scary, but certainly um, if you can sort of help someone that can help you navigate that a little bit, um, I'm certainly happy to help anyone I can. The very busy Jen Medway there from AgriFutures Australia. Yeah, we certainly have covered a lot of ground in this episode, but I hope you've enjoyed it, and if so, leave a review for us on Spotify or iTunes. AWI is on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. But from me, Marius Cumming, thanks for your company.